0: Yeah, good afternoon and welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show, November 2nd. It's raining cats and dogs here in Salford. It is absolutely piddling down outside. I've uh, got a good show for you today, I think. Do reach out to me via the website or via the app for the programme. I look forward to your company.
1: It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford.
2: It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host,
0: Richie Allen. Now, I really like Dr. Stuart Waiton. He's an academic and author. He's also the chairman of the Scottish Union for Education. He's written, um, well, the latest newsletter from the Scottish Union for Education. Well, it poses a very interesting question about the term decolonisation. Now, in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th, Stuart Wayton noticed that some academics in this country, in Scotland and in the UK, attempted to justify what happened um, by describing it as decolonisation. Now, what is very interesting about that fact is, is that many academics are calling for the decolonisation of the curriculum in British schools and universities. Which means, what does it mean? Well, decolonizing the curriculum, we'll get into that with uh, Stuart Wayton. it means there are privileged whites and the oppressed black people and Muslims and ethnic minorities. And that basically, just like the Israelis, um, anyone defined as being privileged essentially deserves everything they get. Hence, decolonize the curriculum. It's fascinating. Dr. Stuart Wayton, PhD a bit later on at uh, this hour to talk about that. Yeah, so that should be good, that should be stimulating and challenging, and as I've already said, do have your opinion, opine at me, I'd, uh, I can't wait to hear from you now. So North Yorkshire police have arrested a dude for attending a Halloween party dressed as a, well, as the Manchester Arena bomber, Salman Abedi. imagine that. This guy outed himself, David Wooten is his name, or Wooten. He posted a picture on Facebook of himself bedecked, decked out in, um, well he wore an Arabic style headdress, he wore a t-shirt reading, I love Ariana Grande, and he had a rucksack and the rucksack was emblazoned with the words BOOM and TNT to imply that the bag was a bomb. He's been arrested, he's been arrested. I know. I thought Halloween was about monsters, and so dressing as monsters was okay. Presumably not. Presumably now, you may only dress as fictional monsters. But, um, no, not real, people. Peter Sutcliffe? No. No. Uh, could you go as Fred West? No. Probably not. Jeffrey Darmer? Probably not. Harold Shipman? probably not, Uh, Robert De Niro is playing Harold Shipman in a new Netflix mini-drama, mini-series, as they're going to call it, The Old Deer Hunter. So yeah, that's a terrible gag. Jesus, why, Richie? I have no idea. So this guy's been arrested, and presumably he might be charged for wearing a Halloween costume and going as a suicide bomber. Yeah. There's a wanted poster out for a bloke who let mice free in McDonald's. He will have been following this. Did you notice that the mice, not known, mice are not known for their restraint around food now, as the nibbling little bastards. Uh, They didn't touch a Big Mac or a Filet-O-Fish, did they? Did you notice that? None of them went anywhere near the food, or even a double sausage McMuffin meal with hash browns. When rodents won't eat your food, it can't be good for you, right? They've got a wanted poster online. Police want this guy. It's amazing how quickly the police are to rally around corporations and the like when it comes to their rights. But anybody else who needs a police officer, you know, forget about it. But they're um, they're on the lookout. They want this guy, B-O-L-O, Bolo. Be on the lookout for a guy, uh, the, a guy with a box of mice. God bless him. So the storm, the storm, Lord bless us and save us. You've heard about this all day long on the news channels, right? The UK is being battered by Storm Ciarán. And by the way, someone at the Met office has a sense of humour. They named this one Storm Ciaran to bamboozle the UK's news presenters. You should hear him. if you heard him? The UK continues to be battered by Storm Kiran. Storm Kieran, Storm Kiran It's Kiron. And it's only a bit of bad weather. It happens. Every now and then we get a storm on the south coast. It causes waves. Once in a blue moon somebody dies. It happens. It's just the weather. And a woman who groped a man's genitals in a pub has avoided a jail sentence. (laughs) She was fined. Chloe Tate, she's 28 years of age. I just don't care anymore. You know, I don't care whether people have a sense of humour or not. Uh, Chloe happens to be good looking. And if I was handing down the sentence, I would definitely take that into consideration. A 28-year-old sales representative who happens to be a gay lesbian woman. Chloe. She was um, out in a pub and she left her male victim frozen in shock after she molested him at a table in front of his friends while her sister was in the ladies, a courtyard, Chloe Tate. She's avoided jail, but she's been given a community order. Now, during the incident at a Weatherspoons pub, there's a clue there, in Chester, Chloe had got involved with some banter or small talk with the man who was sitting at a table next to her. She then became intimate with him, leaning on his arm and touching his and his friends' faces. According to Chester Magistrates Court, this is just down the the road. When asked why she was touching the men's faces, she replied, because they like it. And then she grabbed her victim's crotch and genitals. He called the old bill, saying that he was frozen in shock. What the fuck is wrong with men in 2023? A pretty girl touches your face and fondles your genitals in front of your in front of your mates. Like a real man would be like, "I've fucking scored. Get in there, my son." Generations Z are like frozen, shocked, violated. Call the police and don't start with this, what if the shoe's on the other foot? Men are physically superior to women. It's terribly wrong for a man to do it. I don't think it's as bad if a woman does it, particularly if she's gorgeous in my opinion. Anyway, prosecutors said she should be made subject to a community order, which would automatically require her to notify the police of her whereabouts from now on in, for the next 12 months. Um, But the judge said no, no, she can pay the victim £150 in compensation and £172 in costs. JP, which must mean Justice of the Peace, Mark Turner, in sentencing said, the offence on that evening was not predatory, it was basically, as we see it, a drunken joke gone wrong. Is that is the politest way of putting it. Something has gone wrong that night. Yeah, weatherspoons that's where it went wrong. spoons. where you can still have four pints of John Smith's and a fish and chip supper and change out of a tenner. spoons. There's a lot to be said for putting an extra couple of quid on the price of a pint, you know? You don't get Chloe groping the bloke at the table who calls the old Bill. It's eight minutes past the hour. Duncan McCarthy is a madman, and we're ashamed of him in Ireland. We're really ashamed of him. He's riddled with religious mania, riddled with it. He believes the end is nigh. Now, he took offence at something Elon Musk said the other day on the Joe Rogan podcast. I brought it to you yesterday, what he said. Basically, Elon Musk said he's in the UK at the moment. In fact, apparently, Elon Musk had a conversation with Rishi Sunak today about the perils of AI and how to avoid AI running loose and out of control. Right? So he's here, Elon, is a Twitter boss these days, or X as they call it now, yeah. Anyway, the, the gist of what he said to Joe Rogan was, if AI is programmed by the mind virus loonies like Donovan McCarthy, who believe that humans are a plague and that we're going to destroy the planet... Well, ultimately, AI might decide, well, we need to get rid of human beings. Now, Duncan McCarthy, the climate madman, took grave offence to this. Here he is speaking on Good Morning Britain. Good Morning Britain earlier on. I think
3: it's actually extraordinary that he should demonise those people who are actually trying to save humanity. The United Nations says there's an existential threat from climate change to humanity. What are environmentalists trying to do? What are the crises we're dealing with? Climate is a threat to our economy, the survival of humanity. We want the protection of soils. We've lost 50% of our soils since the agricultural revolution. What are our kids going to do if we've got no soils? We're trying to protect air quality. So the 6 million people around the world who are dying from poison Poisoned air can live. We are a movement to save humanity. And the idea that the media billionaires like Musk and, and Murdoch are saying we are the problem is it's, it's really threatening. That's the danger. The question I would ask is why are we allowing a small group of people to own our global media who are all opposing the actions that need to save humanity? Yeah, different
2: question, of course, but still a pertinent one. Mike, what would you say to Danica?
0: Yeah, this is Mike Parry, right? He's basically a talking head.
2: Well, I think a lot of it is a, a blind political dogma. You know, command and control. This is what I believe. And I think the people who want to get down to net zero are very reluctant to listen to the other side of the story. I believe that the environment goes through phases. For instance, we had a warm period between uh, 250 and 400 AD and another one between 950 and 1250 in the Medieval Times. you remember those, Mike? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but the archaeologists remember them because the Romans used to grow vineyards along Hadrian's Walls, so we know it's cyclical over periods of 1,000 or 2,000 years. I don't believe... There is an environmental crisis, and Dr John Clauser, last well, the year's joint, winner, joint the winner... The of problem is the word Prize belief.
3: Why do you say belief? The when, problem when, is you don't say accept science. It's the, OK, the John
2: Clauser, a Nobel Prize winner for physics, uh, has just signed a declaration stating there is no climate emergency on Earth. It's cold weather, it comes in and it goes out. And if we follow this blind political dogma that we've got to get to net zero, people will die. Because they won't be able to heat their homes if they've got to have heat pumps which are massively expensive and inefficient. And people will starve. Well
0: said, well said, Mike Parry, well said. I think Donika McCarthy is a madman. I don't say that to be unkind. And I know there are people who are maybe struggling with mental illness. And please don't take it that I am mocking Mental illness by using the terminology, please, because I'm not. Duncan McCarthy is a madman. He is absolutely stone mad and should be locked up in a sanitarium, and preferably with uh, Louise Fletcher running it, Nurse Ratchet preferably in Charlie Cheswick, and they should put that conductant on his temples and they should shock the living bejesus out of him until he comes comes to his senses and realises that there is no existential crisis. You can't talk to these madmen. You heard Mike Parry there tell him clearly, look, as a Nobel Prize for Physics winner has just said it is monumental bollocks, but you can't talk to him. You know, hundreds of scientists have signed the declaration, as you know, because we covered it on this programme, is that it is a load of bollocks. But you can't talk to madmen like Dunica McCarthy. Lock him up with Charlie Cheswick and the Chief. And the Chief. Chief. Who played the Chief? The Chief. It'll come to me in a minute. Good evening to Dino, who says yes, Richie, the guy who had his crotch groved by the gorgeous woman should be locked up, the sad. And then he says, wanker. Yes, I agree. 100%. Jesus, what happened to a bit of crack-like? You know, Oh, it's a different generation now. It was a younger guy too. This is why I said Generation Z froze, froze instead of instead of you know. It's, I'm not going to say any more. I'll say no more about it. As for the guy who is on the run, having released the mice in McDonald's, the mice which wouldn't touch the Big Mac or the fillet o' fish, uh, Bruce says they might do a lockdown until they found the guy. Says Bruce, yes, like they did in Maine. There's a gunman on the loose. Stay indoors or you'll be arrested. And they stayed indoors like idiots. Uh, Jane says, Richie, you just made me laugh. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jane. Uh, hi to Paul, who says, Medazzle Matt Hancock mask would be far more scary on Halloween. as The Grim Reaper personified. Did you read that about Hancock today? Did you read it, I asked you? Hancock um, wanted to personally make the decision as to who lived and who died. If the pandemic got really, really, really serious and they ran out of medicines. Did you hear that from the COVID inquiry? The COVID inquiry. Let me read you this from the Telegraph newspaper. Matt Hancock wanted to decide, quote, who should live and who should die, end quote, if hospitals became overwhelmed by COVID patients. Who said? Well, Lord Stevens said he's the former chief executive of the NHS. Excuse me. He's the former chief executive of NHS England. And in his witness statement, he said, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care took the position that in this situation, he rather than, say, the medical profession or the public should ultimately decide who should live and who should die. And then, with no sense of irony whatsoever, Lord Stevens said, wait for it, quote, Fortunately, fortunately, this horrible dilemma never crystallised. Which dilemma? that there were no hospital beds and people were dying? Or is it a dilemma that Matt Hancock might decide who got to live and who got to die? Yes. Matt Hancock, eh? If there is a God... And if the Old Testament if the if it is the God of the Old Testament, if hell exists, Matt Hancock's going to have some fun for the next few thousand years, isn't he? An absolute don't say it, Richie. Just carry on, carry on. Quarter past the hour. The thank you for the messages, by the way. Uh, Simon came on to say he's a bigger murderer than Harold Shipman. Uh thank you. Les says Richie I listened to your uh, morning papers today, heard your piece about dementia. I recently received a letter from the NHS entitled Our Future Health. The NHS is looking for 5 million volunteers to take part in their programme looking into dementia, cancer, heart disease and stroke. 5 million volunteers? To do what exactly, Les? To submit themselves for regular blood testing, maybe? Uh, Let us know if you know... Five million volunteers they want. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Okay. Hello, Peter. Peter says, Richie, is the AI fear porn really pushing transhumanism? As in, we can only suppress the dangers of AI by merging with machines so we can know how they think. Everything they do is pushing us in a certain direction. Just a thought, says Peter. Peter. It's a, it's a good shout. I, I don't know. Gillian says, the chemtrails pollute the... Oh, uh, God. Hang on. As The chemtrails pollute the effing land anyway. Nothing worth eating grows. No bees, birds, insects in general. Haven't seen a spider or a fly in months, says Gillian. Well, I have seen plenty of spiders, Gillian. Uh, thank you for that. Uh... Don says Richie, maybe the mice was a delivery of meat to the burger chain, <laughs> and he he should have delivered it to the back rather than the front. Says Don, maybe, maybe I remember a few years ago. Um, those of a sensitive disposition should maybe turn down the volume now for about thirty seconds. Three, two, one. I remember a few years ago, the the remains of many many cats, were found behind the street behind the curry mile the curry mile is a famous culinary adventure it's a culinary area it's um it's Home basically home in manchester okay um wilbraham road where it meets home, you have the curry mile it's famous it's lit up it's gorgeous and you've lots and lots of indian and asian and pakistani and bangladeshi and sri lankan restaurants and it's lovely A few years ago, they found an enormous amount of dead cats. I swear to God. And this is true. You can look it up if you don't believe me. Not a word of a lie. And they never got to the bottom of it. as to how the cats came to be there. I have my suspicions. Needless to say, I never set foot on the curry mile ever again. No, thank you. I'd rather eat in Burger King. Uh, Grace Ann says, Richie, I think they've already decided who is going to live or die the minute they started to compel people to be vaccinated. Well said, Grace Ann. To the the Telegraph this afternoon, the Guardian's coverage of the Hamas terror attack was so upsetting, a Jewish staff member has said they are planning to leave the organisation. The employee also claimed that they felt uncomfortable at work where fellow staff dismissed Jewish pain. Uh, The employee was, was writing in Jewish news and said they had raised concerns about aspects of the Guardian's reporting. I emailed the editors. I tell them that my newspaper's coverage has been upsetting. They tell me that their thoughts are with my family, but they stand by the paper's reporting. Exactly, you little snowflake. Get over yourself. Anyway, yeah, as if that's even news. Why are you talking about it? Well, Palestinian journalist Lena Musallam is based in London. She's a journalist, Lina Musallam. Her parents are in Gaza. And she told Stig Abel at Times Radio a few home truths earlier... This is good stuff. Very young female Palestinian journalist. She's living in London. Lena.
4: I feel that the world has failed us big time. Israel is the only country that has been given green light by Western governments to continue its war crimes against the humanity and against the, the civilians. And they get along with it. Israel has been treated above the law by the West after it has breached all the humanitarian and international laws. It's, Israel has com- has committed mass murder and carpet bombing in entire civilian neighborhoods. Right life the TV screens and we are not able to get in touch with our families. Have you seen like two massacres happened yesterday uh, within 24 hours in Jabalia camps and this morning they have been bombing a school you know honor was schools with white phosphorus which is banned internationally and they get along with it like this morning it's unbelievable to see and the whole world can see, like, how Israel has been targeting honourable schools where thousands of displaced Gazans were sheltering yeah. in beach camp in the Gaza. Well,
2: they would say, of course, Lena, that, they would say, of course, Lena, that they would say, of course, Lena, that
5: Hamas are there and they're going after Hamas and Hamas are putting their own people in danger. And, well, by, this by is being
4: always there. the lies that they actually use just to uh, allow themselves to say what they want to say, to allow the genocide that is happening. And the whole world is watching it in silence.
0: To be fair, Stig Abel is at least listening. There's more.
4: This silence oh. is sickening. It's actually simple, quite simple. They are killing children. They are killing civilians. They are bombing hospitals. They are bombing schools. And and all the, like, neighbourhood, entire neighbourhood has been wiped out and entire families have been and wiped out. And they would out, say they're prosecuting a ward. I mean, the what regions. you
5: say is simple. They say they are prosecuting a war and, and I understand the points that you're making and you'll be aware that the, the counter argument from Israel
4: nothing Justifies the carpet bombing of entire civilians. Whatever they say, nothing, nothing justifies by any means, by any standard what they are doing. And the world has failed us. Just to call for a ceasefire instead of calling for a pause. This is unbelievable. What a tragic and sickening world. When they come to stay silent, there is a double standard. If it is in Ukraine, as I was hearing, what's happening in Ukraine, then the whole world would speak about it and call it war crimes. But when it comes to Palestine, there is double standards that is not acceptable by this sickening world how come they can stay silent about killing children
0: mm, yeah very good the killing of Israeli civilians is no less reprehensible than the murder of civilians in Gaza of course nobody would would say that no decent person would but the response of the Israelis is barbaric the point she's making and there is a hypocrisy in the Western media in its entirety, where they talk about crimes against the Ukrainian people, but don't say anything really about what's happening in Gaza. Or or they report on it, but no criticism whatsoever of the Israeli government. And this is something I found interesting. It's about censorship. Uh, there's a young man who's popped up quite a few times recently. His name is Dov Foreman. And he's a young Jewish man. He's very articulate. He wrote a book about his grandmother's life. His grandmother survived Auschwitz. She's still alive. And he's on GB News today. And it's it's this thing again, it's not just about this particular issue. It's it's this kind of programming or or kind of an education. The education of younger people to to, to brief them, to, to to let them know. Sorry, to disempower them by telling them that name calling and and I'll tell you what, I'll shut up and I'll let you listen to this, and then we'll talk about it in a moment.
6: Yes, unfortunately, as you say, my great-grandmother and I have received hundreds, if not thousands, of anti-Semitic comments every single day. We have over 2 million followers on social media. And every morning I wake up to messages such as the following. Good morning. And at least they start with good morning. And then they say, I hope that what happened on October 7th happens to your great-grandmother and is repeated to her. I hope she gets bombed. She's a dirty Zionist. They say the same about me. Sometimes they say, um, and these the, some some of the things I can't even repeat on air, but sometimes they say that the, holo- the Holocaust is not a Holocaust. It was a holo-hoax. Um, they often say that she's a liar and that she and other Holocaust survivors, especially those in Israel, should be murdered and that they know where we live and that they're going to come for us. And these are incredibly scary.
4: Dov can I ask a question Are they always from Muslims Is it always Arab because of the hate And the um, division that's being caused in the Middle East Is that predominantly where the hate is coming
0: from The hate right
6: no, I think especially on social media, what we're seeing are these are people from all faiths, all ethnicities, from all countries, really, not just here in the UK, but I receive hate from people in America, people across Europe, people even in the Middle East, of course.
0: He receives hate from everywhere. And the thing is, none of the presenters, Bev Turner or Andrew Pearce, ask him, why doesn't he just ignore it? Why doesn't he use the tools that he has available to him, tools like Block or Mute, right? You, Twitter has made it very easy. For you to protect your tweets. Very easy. To protect your tweets and to prevent any old person tweeting at you. And I would have made this point to him. I'm not saying that it's nice that people say, You're, I hope your grandmother dies, your great-grandmother, she's a dirty Zionist." Not nice, that, really. But the tools are there to, f- very quickly to be able not only to block the person saying that, but also to protect your own tweets in a way that you get to decide who responds to them and who can tweet to you if you understand. So I would say to the kid, why do you read it? And what do you mean hate? What do you mean by hate? You're talking about anonymous trolls, people who you've never met, people who don't know anything about you and people whom you don't know anything about. So how could it be hatred? Isn't it just mischief and poison pen? It's kind of modern or latter-day poison pen writing. Why what do you want? And of course what he wants and this is his generation, it isn't just about this issue, they want blanket censorship is what they want.
6: Um, Reaching out and these are young people who just don't understand the situation, they're naive, they've been manipulated through disinformation and through anti-Semitism that they've been subject to on social media and that's why social media companies do have an important part to play here. Yesterday I met with TikTok UK to suggest that they have some sort of programme in place to combat this misinformation, this mis- mis which is going on amongst.
0: So now he's moved away from name calling and he's having a go at the fact that younger people are spreading misinformation. What he means there is there are lots and lots of young people who take a very dim view of what the Israeli military is doing in Gaza. And they're very loudly discussing this on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And he doesn't like that because it doesn't suit his narrative. You know, that we, the Jews, are victims, we are perennial, eternal victims, and we must be protected from from this vile hate. I go to the social media companies and I tell them they've got to do something. And what they want, really, is a blanket censorship. They don't want anybody to be discussing these things openly and opining on these things, and expressing their own views on how they see what is happening, and why it has happened historically. And I don't blame Dov Foreman, who sounds like an articulate uh, kid. He's probably a nice kid. He's great. Grandmother must be an amazing woman. She survived Auschwitz. But um, they're they're brainwashing these kids. And they're as i tried and failed badly to explain a little while ago they they want these kids to believe that a world can be created where they never have to be where where they can go through it without ever being challenged without ever being accosted and pulled up and questioned and that's what's going on here and it's not good and this is the reason why basically debating has disappeared out of British universities. It doesn't happen anymore. This is the reason why uh, young men like Dov uh, try to get controversial speakers cancelled by universities rather than say, this, this sounds good. This should be a bit of a crack. There's nothing usually going on of a Tuesday night. They've got some gender-critical person coming in. Uh, let's go and have our say no, no, they want everything they feel threatened by, everything they disagree with, they want it banned. And they want it banned quickly, without any argument,
6: really. And I think it's simple to understand why, when we get, I'm currently set at my university in University College London, where there's been terrible anti Semitism over the past few weeks, both from students and from lecturers. And I think it's simple to understand why those students who are the same age as me feel this anti-Semitism, no, wonder, no matter if they're connected to this conflict um, or not, and that's because we've seen so much disinformation, so much anti-Semitism and hatred spread on social media.
0: Yeah, it's about horty feelings really, you know. no death threats have always been a crime, always, on the statute books, always death threats, always, but people shouting out things and people getting very animated in discussions around Gaza, that isn't criminal. It's passion, it's anger, it's frustration. And rather than teach kids like like Dolph Foreman how to deal with it and to stand up for yourself, of course, the state wants to disempower them. Let them believe they're victims, because when they believe they're victims, then, well, they'll surrender, really, their freedom, won't they? You'll give up your freedom. You convince anybody that he or she is a victim, they will quite gladly give over their power to the state to protect them. It's 29 minutes past the hour. Let's talk very briefly about Leo Varadkar, the Irish Taoiseach, speaking in Dáil Éireann yesterday. It means he's Ireland's Prime Minister, speaking in Dáil Éireann, Dáil Éireann the, the, the Parliament. Uh, Leo wants more black and brown f- faces everywhere. He wants more black and brown faces everywhere. He wants to roll out a programme of positive discrimination so that we get more black and brown people in key roles, in senior roles, in legislative roles. Have a listen, Leo Varadkar.
7: And one thing I strongly agree with the deputy on is the need to target, set a target, to have a, a number of people from ethnic minorities in areas of the public service. We have a health service that's very diverse, although less so as you go up towards the senior positions Uh, Not so much in the Gardaí, not so much in the Defence Forces, not so much in the education sector, as the Deputy mentioned, not at all in the civil service, which is very white, uh, including the Department of Equality, for example. uh, And that actually needs to change. Um, So we need to have, I think, a target for people who come from ethnic minority backgrounds, uh, but also uh, dedicated recruitment campaigns to encourage people. Because we do need uh, a generation of young people growing up in Ireland who are people of colour to see black and brown school principals, judges, King Carla perhaps in the future. Um, Who knows? Uh, Visibility uh, and opportunity is really important.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of young men coming in from certain parts of Asia and certain parts of Africa coming into the country. I don't think you'll want any of those young men to be judges in the future because their attitude to jurisprudence now is a little bit different to the attitude to jurisprudence in the West. Like, you wouldn't want to be caught stealing in pennies in Grafton Street. And end up before some bloke who's um come from the Sharia way of uh, judging whether somebody is innocent or guilty or not. But uh, it's it's a it's so ironic. Varadkar talking about more black and brown faces while Ireland has a basket case approach to immigration, a completely basket case approach, where not only are they allowing anybody who wants to come into the country come into the country, but they've got officials. Irish government officials, NGOs going into countries around the world, in the third world and sub-Saharan Africa, telling people listen, come to Ireland <laughs> so you don't, they won't need to work too hard on getting people of colour, brown and black faces into judge into positions, you know where they will be presiding judges and, and what not it's some lunatic world, I know I say that too often, it's hilarious isn't it, yeah we want um, the many, many, many young black and brown people growing up in Ireland, we want to see themselves represented in the future. So we're going to do positive discrimination and tell Irish people, you know, listen, you're going to have to step aside for a bit. You can't apply for that role. Why? We need, some, we need more black people. We need more brown people. How long before they say we need more lesbians? It won't be too long. Remember that idiot I can never remember his name. It that dickhead who for about two years ran the BBC's diversity programme. He had a very mad African name. I'm not racist. When I say mad, it had about 67, 67 letters in the surname. It was absolutely unpronounceable. A madman. And he oversaw the BBC's attempt to be more diverse in its recruitment. And he made that hilarious statement, didn't he? That The BBC doesn't have enough lesbians. Our output is not, you know, it, it doesn't have enough of a lesbian feel to it. Like, We need to get more lesbians in the newsroom and in the gallery because that's somehow going to enhance our coverage of what's going on in Gaza. We're not really giving people the real picture of what's going on On the ground in Gaza. Why is that? And I can't pronounce this mad guy's name from Africa. Well, we don't have enough lesbians in the editorial team. I think if we had more lesbians, I'm going to keep saying lesbians until you you just get tired and you turn off. We get more lesbians in there. Well, we'll we'll definitely have a more rounded, kind of a balanced um, presentation of the Middle Eastern problem. If you have more lesbians. Yeah, it's 26 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Imagine I'm actually not joking. Imagine this sort of silliness is not only, you know, mooted by idiots, it's actually then adopted as policy. Mooted is one thing, you know. You wouldn't mind if somebody said, listen, can we just check and see how many lesbians and trannies we have in the organisation because we mightn't have enough now. It's okay if somebody moots that, so long as that person is quietly eased out of the building within about two hours, flanked by burly security guards, right? Get out, you madman or madwoman. So it's not, you know, it wouldn't be too bad if it was mooted. But the fact they adopt these policies, we need to keep a check on the lesbian quotient. Yeah. ZZ Top, give me all your loving then. Nothing is working today. I tell you now, stop it. Sticky keys. Sticky fingers. I'm off to Weatherspoons later on, by the way. I'm looking for a fish and chips. I'm looking for three points to John Smiths and to get felt up by somebody called Chloe. There's a lovely Weatherstones and Eccles. It's got some characters in there, I don't mind telling you. Yeah, there's an absolutely gorgeous photograph of me on Twitter. Go to twitter.com forward slash uh, A pic- Picture taken by uh, the frog herself earlier on. It's me with my with our, with our golden retriever and German shepherd and it, you really should check the photograph out because you've never in your life seen a pair of legs like the legs on me. They go right up to my shoulders, my legs Beautiful Six foot, six inches tall. And it's all in proportion. The legs, I've actually... And this is no word of a lie. This is the truth. Nobody believes this. I have used my legs as the double for the legs of Julia Roberts in a couple of films over the years. I can't... I don't know exactly what that job title is. When you... you, it's It's not body double, but leg double. I've leg doubled for Julia Roberts. My legs are so amazing. Anyway. 22... You're sending yourself flowers again, are you, Baldy? I am indeed. 22 minutes it is to the top of the hour. My name is Richie Allen. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show. And it's nice to talk with you, to you, at you. Coming up shortly, Stuart Waiten the chair of the Scottish Union for Education. I really like Stuart Waiten I like him because he's got balls of steel. He's a university lecturer. He's a writer. Very good writer. He writes for the newspapers too. And he came on this particular programme, the very first time he came on, he knew that he might get hammered for it, but came on anyway, because he's a free speech absolutist. He believes in free speech, and he wouldn't be scared off a radio programme, or anything like that. So he's a great guy, they're doing great work actually, Scottish Union for Education, and their newsletters are always very interesting, so we'll get Stuart on in a moment for a chat. Uh, thank you for your messages, by the way. Brambo says, Ireland needs also to have more dwarfs, people of restricted growth, or porgs. For if they don't, they could be accused of being an apart height state. Brilliant. That's, see, that's my cup of tea, that Brambo. <laughs> that is my cup of tea. Carol from Waterford says, What happened to seeking out the most highly qualified person for the gig? What about the job that's on offer? It makes your blood boil, doesn't it, says Carol? Sometimes it does. Hi to Gary. Thank you, Gary, for that suggestion. I'll keep it in mind. Hi to Bill, who says, Richie, GB News is now beyond the pale. Some of the presenters must find it against their moral compass to support Israel, despite the horror stories coming from Gaza. But they are MSM whores, he says, spouting whatever comes across their auto cue. Thank you, Bill. But it also might be the case that they are espousing their sincere opinion. We, we've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. Look, I'm with you. I don't like it either. But maybe this is what they believe. Cockney J says, what happened to the young generation of men? I remember in my early 20s, a lot of lads would happily part with 40-odd quid for a lady to remove her top and dance for five minutes. Now men are calling the old bill for a harmless grab of the meat and two veg. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Maria says, it was the Mancunians and not the Croydon cat killer. Yuck. Oh, she's referring to my story. Uh, thank you, uh, Maria. Yeah, that Curry Mile story. Yeah, very true. William said, The MacLads group wrote a song called Gordon's Revenge, a true story, where a Chinese takeaway in Manchester was, um, well, was offing pet dogs and cats and putting them in the food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I might eventually, yeah, I might eventually get kicked off air. I don't know. I've got to stop reading some of these comments. Thursday's Richie Allen Show. A chance for me to quickly promote the Papers, which is a podcast going out now Monday to Friday. It's usually online about nine thirty, available to download. It's a podcast only. It is not live in any way, shape, or form. But um it is what it says. It's the papers. It's me checking out the papers and sharing with you some of the more interesting stories inside the papers I'm back with you in a second
1: Winter's on its way and so are colds flu and other respiratory illness (laughs) A robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from nutrahealth 365 Combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit nutrahealth 365com now and get winter ready. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. And
0: do please support your Richie Allen show. It's very important that that you do if you can.
1: Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen show now at richieallen.co.uk.
0: Hang on there now a minute while I just type something. Let me do that now. Okay. Do you know my pal, Jean-Anne, she's in wonderment that you do all this by yourself. You do the, you do all the lining up the guests and all of that while you're on air presenting a live show. She can't get her head round it, Jean-Anne. I mean, I would be open to having a producer, but obviously I can't pay anybody. I wouldn't have anybody doing it on a volunteer basis because when, when somebody volunteers for you, right, so they volunteer, right, You can't give them dog's abuse when they screw up, you see. When you're paying them, you can. Now, I wouldn't be a a kind of a Stalin-esque boss. I wouldn't be. People who worked with me over the years, they would tell you that I didn't mince words, but that I was kind, and that whatever was said in the heat of the moment during or around a live programme, because it can get pretty hectic. You know, deadlines are serious when... You're doing radio, but I'd always um, we'd always have a crack later on. But uh, yeah, if you if you've got a volunteer and any volunteer is not going to be qualified anyway. Anybody worth his or her salt would be um, would be or their salt because you can't discriminate. If I was to actually even if I was even to seek a voluntary producer, I would I would be bound by employment law in this country. Do you know that? I would be bound by employment law. I would have to consider applications from non-binary dickheads. Non-binary dickheads, yeah. You know, these attention-seeking Muppets um, who say that they're non-binary. Or some other mad gender. You'd have to include them, you see. You'd have to demonstrate that you actually interviewed them. Gave them a chance. And I just couldn't be dealing with, with people like that. You could say this type of thing years ago as well. You could say it, like, you know. I remember being in, when I was at uni in Salford, I used to work for Ticketmaster. I used to be on the telephone lines on Saturdays for Ticketmaster. This is before people could buy tickets using a phone, you know, or even before they could buy tickets using the internet. They'd have to ring Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster and queue up like everybody else, and then they'd get through, they'd be really breathless, like, and stressed out, like, because they really want those Barry Manilow at the O2 uh, tickets, right? So they're absolutely out of it, and then they say to you, I want the tickets. And I worked with a guy called Brian, and Brian was gay, but he was one of those screaming queen gays. He was like, he was like Alan Carr, multiplied by Graham Norton. Unbelievable screaming queen. And I used to say to him, Brian, there's no way I could do this job full-time if I had to be sitting near you. And he laughed at it because people had thicker skin then. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to do the camp. I'm not going to do the camp voice now because I might out myself. But Brian would he was happy with it. He was like, yeah, I know. I know I'm a bit much. Fair enough, Brian. There you are. I couldn't do this full-time if I was sitting alongside you every day. I'd kill myself, Brian. And he was like, oh, you... So Stuart waiton, then shall we give him a, 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 a shall we give him a ring? Because this is good, this is good. So I really like Stuart Whiting. I mentioned this earlier on. Um, so it's, not, it's not a good way to start, really, is it, a, a, an interview? You shouldn't say that you like your interviewee, but I really like uh, Stuart. Uh, Stuart is the chairperson of the Scottish Union for Education. I recommend you check them out on Substack. I'll put a link on the podcast notes later on. The newsletter produced by uh, the SUE is always very interesting and thought-provoking. And Stuart has been writing about what happened on October 7th, but putting it into juxtaposing it with what is going on in schools and universities today. Let me explain. So he's written about how some academics have sought to justify the Hamas attacks on Israeli civilians and children by saying that it's what decolonisation means. Now he's right. I looked into this. Some academics, not only here but elsewhere, were very dismissive. Of the Jewish victims or the Israeli victims of the attack on October seventh, and smugly and you know, maybe spookily, maybe t- for some, said, "Well, this is decolonization, right? Um, that it's 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 not simply the fact." It, Stuart writes, "It's not simply the fact that some academics support Hamas and their desire to kill Jews." it is the fact that schools and universities are all promoting the need to decolonize. So this is very good. So we, by saying decolonize, this is what decolonization means when a mass kills uh, Jewish civilians. Stuart has noticed the, the term is being used in education here in the UK. And what does it mean then? The, what is the implication of the term decolonize? Let's ask him. Let's welcome back the author, the academic, uh, PhD Stuart Wayton live on the Richie Allen Show for Thursday. Hey Stuart, welcome back. Good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Gotta ask you this. Um, do you regularly audit the Scottish Union for education to make sure that you have enough lesbians in the organisation? <laughs> Just wondering.
5: <laughs> Uh, we ha- we haven't done yet but I'll, uh, I'll I'll put it on my list of to do things.
0: Yeah because you remember this don't you when the BBC Diversity Guy a couple of years ago said the organisation needed more lesbians. We've been talking about it on today's show. Thursday's like an end of term show on this programme we've had a mad week so um, first of all I like the way you wrote the article right because I'm somebody who's always supported the cause, the, the Palestinian cause, the Palestinian plight but I would never seek to justify the murder of civilians ever under any circumstances. The end does not justify the means at all. It cannot do. Life is valuable, uh, no, no matter who dies or, or, or who's murdered. So you make a great point. And it's brilliant the way you juxtapose this kind of, well, this is what decolonisation means when a mass does that, with this term kind of creeping into the debate about how to kind of remodel education. It's very good. Talk to us why this popped into your mind this whole decolonize the curriculum thing well it's just it's a
5: it's a it's an interesting development and it's it's i think it's kind of useful for helping us even think about the middle east a little bit although a lot of this obviously is to do with what's happening over here so basically what happens at the minute is in universities um You'll have your kind of inclusion officer person will ask people in charge of degrees if they have decolonized their curriculum and what they mean by that. Well, I'm not sure they even know what they mean, because a lot of these people are just kind of following a script. But in general, what they mean is, have you checked to make sure that your curriculum isn't too white and too Western? So are you just using kind of Western thinkers and authors without looking at authors who are African or Muslim or indigenous or uh, so on and so forth? So there's a kind of, there's an implicit presumption that there's a kind of uh, racial or racist bias amongst lecturers. Of course, the thing that's kind of hilarious about this is that if you, look at who teaches in universities, about 80% or more are usually left-leaning type people who are, you know, completely anti-racist and so on. So it's kind of, it's a bit kind of farcical, but nevertheless, those same people apparently have got kind of uh, white fragility, unconscious bias, this is inbuilt into what you do, but On top of that, as well as it being about materials, there's also this kind of more weird uh, and bizarre idea that there's a kind of indigenous way of thinking, right? So you've got like a Western way of thinking, which is kind of about being rational and fact-based about knowledge and evidence and so on. And apparently you have this kind of indigenous alternative way of thinking. And, you know, that which hasn't been adopted into universities, which I kind of think is kind of racist (laughs) in and of itself. It kind of suggests that because you're from a different kind of ethnic background, that means necessarily you have a kind of different way of thinking. I mean, perhaps I'll eventually say they've got a different type of brain and we'll get back to kind of biological racial determinism, except they'll be celebrating (laughs) the black brain rather than the (laughs) white brain. But anyway, yeah. so you've got these two dimensions of this decolonization idea, and you have it in schools, right, which is part of the framework of anti-racism in schools, which has been adopted in the curriculum, which is a kind of crude form of critical race theory that posits the idea that you've got white privilege uh, and black underprivilege. so white, bad, uh, black, uh, good, or at least certainly preferable. And what's... What's happened and, and why we need to think a little bit differently about the kind of is Israel situation is, is Israelis and Jews are situated on the wrong side. So they're seen as being white, even though that is not necessarily true, but they're seen as white, they're seen as Western, they're seen as kind of capitalist, they're seen as modern. So all the bad, all the crosses are put on the Jews, and all the ticks are put in the Palestinians, or more particularly in terms of Hamas, the Muslims. So you get a kind of really crass idea of good against evil. So when you get this utterly barbaric, racist, (laughs) uh, uh, genocidal even attack by Hamas, who essentially want to kill Jews, preferably all Jews as far as I can see, you get these Western idiots coming out celebrating this. You know, you even had a green MSP coming out in Scotland saying, "You know, this is essentially celebrating this kind of slaughter uh, of women, children, and uh, innocent civilians." And essentially, that's that's where we are. And so, what I, what I did is I contacted the, uh, the education authorities in Scotland, and I said. Could you tell me, is this what decolonization looks like? Because it's there's there's certainly being a link being made between what Hamas did and what we are meant to do in our universities and in our schools. Um of course I haven't had a reply yet, but uh, you know, you never know, you never know, they might they might come and come back and say something. But that's why it's so dangerous, you see, because these people who always talk about being kind and needing safe spaces and um and so on are the same people who now in their really one-dimensional good versus evil view of the world can celebrate children being butchered um, and live streamed uh, by people who want to kill all jews and you know, shout! This is exhilarating. This is exciting.
0: Um, Do you think so that maybe their language? The sorry, sorry, Stuart. Do you think that maybe? I mean, I, I, because I looked into this and I read the article by Frank Faraday in, in on in on Spiked, in Spiked Online. So, I, I agree with you. The language is, and I mean, you're the last guy in the world to be the language police. I, I know that. So, I agree with you. The language is strange. Um, I don't. I, I certainly wouldn't use that language Um i said earlier and we're not going to talk necessarily about the palestine israel conflict we're not going to do that but um i mean i've always been a supporter of the palestinians but somebody who hates violence and will condemn it wherever i see it i'm an irish republican but i never supported the ira much to the annoyance of some of my friends growing up because the ira didn't target military targets whether you think they're legitimate or not they didn't Uh, exclusively they killed a lot of innocent people and did some unspeakable things so i couldn't support that even though i was a um you know a a kind of a died in the wool republican but like if you look at the language used by some of these academics and then you look at the language used by antonio guterres who condemns the violence as you would do and i would do but then says but look it doesn't happen in isolation you know there's a 75 year history here um he's basically implying that um maybe if you know countries honored their international obligations and if israel didn't do what israel did in gaza there may be not there may not be any hamas as unspeakable as those crimes were so is it a language mm. thing so if some of these academics spoke in those terms would that have been more acceptable
5: um yeah i mean the the thing i think that is worth Concentrating on at least focusing on a bit as a starting point is what Hamas actually did, right? and what they said, and what they represent. And you see, I, I think there's a confusion at times about things like the IRA and Hamas, right? So, if if you contrasted, so, sorry, sorry for your listeners if they don't not interested in this stuff, but if you contrasted the IRA and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, that's a reasonable comparison, I think. Um, and if you look at the IRA, the IRA, for all their faults, their arguments were about liberty, freedom, democracy, equality. Right? And if they killed innocent civilians, they would—they did—they would do it in a way that was often apologetic. Um, they certainly wouldn't be parading innocent civilians bodies and uh and celebrating the death of all protestants or the death to all brits and so on right it's a profound difference hamas are islam islamist terrorist organization who want to slaughter jews right and they're quite upfront about that they're they're against democracy they lock up gay people they're completely illiberal anti-democratic intolerant uh, horrific organization and um, I, I mean I similarly have, have tended to have real sympathies with uh, Palestinians but if the, the situation now in the Middle East is, is quite different and, and Hamas is a quite atrocious organization when that's what's so astonishing that you can have you know you can have all sorts of sympathies but sh- the, the sympathies certainly shouldn't be with Hamas and yeah you get this this bizarre situation where you get these gay groups saying, you know, gays for support and blah blah, what whatever, and yeah. in, in terms of Hamas, and you think, well, that's okay, mate, but if you went over there, you would you would potentially get stoned to death. You might get a warm certain, welcome, yeah, for being gay, right? And it's like the position of yeah, you know, women and every everybody else. It's it, it, it's it's bizarre, right? So you have this really horrendous organisation, and it's the crass equation of jews as part of the white western uh oppressive and so on and it and it's not just israeli jews i mean this is there's a problem of a rise of a new form of anti-semitism where jews in general are just seen as you know they're 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 an irrelevance and so you additionally get this perverse situation where the police in britain will will arrest you for misgendering some guy in a way and uh and and yet you can have sort of um protesters shouting you know for a holy war and death to jews and uh and that seems to be fine and dandy i mean as it happens i think people should be able to say uh what they like without getting arrested at least at least you can see what people stand for and I'm, i'm an advocate for free speech but you you see a complete hypocrisy where there is a even Western yeah. institutions have, have seemed to adopted this new code of, you know, this, I'll give this you that.
0: People. Sorry, Stuart, I'll, yeah, give, you, I'll give you that. And and the thing, I, I was pretty, I won't say disturbed, because we see it so often with the Met police, but we saw the video of, that, of the chap, the English chap, who videoed his street with all of the Palestinian flags, and he made a comment about how, you know, this is crazy what was happening, and he eventually had the police turn up, and then we saw people taking down the posters, which is a very inflammatory thing to do. So some Jewish people put posters of those who were kidnapped up. Obviously, you know this, maybe some of our listeners don't. And then people were tearing them down uh, and then we saw the police taking them down in a certain area mm. because the police saw, So I totally get all of that. I have no time for any of that. Can I just ask you your thoughts on, because look, obviously Hamas is what Hamas is. And I, I think you made a fantastic point when you mentioned the Palestinian Liberation Organization and the difference. What about the Times of Israel? having no issue whatsoever writing that and reminding its readers. And this will tell you how unpopular Benjamin Netanyahu is, the Israeli Prime Minister, who I think is a despot in every sense of the word. I mean, we could get into the Supreme Court stuff that's going on in Israel. But um, that he was a big fan of funding. And basically keeping Hamas lit, as you might say, keep her lit, funding them and keeping them going for years, because by doing that, it weakened the Palestinian people's, you know, uh, push yep. towards a, a state. So it's so there's so much more to this. And you see, we, we, we have a long form conversation. We can do this, you and me. But you get none of this on the UK mainstream media. So Hamas is a is a shower of bastards, no doubt about that. But it but it, it's been propped up by successive Israeli governments to kind of demean or to denigrate the Palestinian push for statehood, right? Yeah, I mean, I
5: mean, it's a it's a good point, and it's also it's something that we've actually seen in the West. Um, and strangely, in the nineteen eighties, it was. Uh, Margaret Thatcher's government that started to sponsor um, a kind of Muslim leaders and try to create kind of Muslim communities because at that time, being a black radical meant being a socialist. And they saw, uh, they were worried about kind of black radicalism emerging. And they actually started to fund what then becomes kind of a multicultural policy where yeah. you start to fund these kind of conservative clerics and give money to Muslim organizations who identify themselves as Muslims. And then surprise, surprise, 20 years later, you've got enclaves of, of places in uh, Bradford, Leicester and other places where you seem to have a separate society where you know Muslims are now Muslims rather than British. Uh, uh, black people. So it's been a, it's been a re- re- repeated thing, and I, su- I, I, I suspect in terms of the in Iran, the rise of the Ayatollah um, and other things, you, you've often had, uh, or maybe not in that case exactly, but you've often had Westerners stupidly thinking that you can use uh, Islamists. Uh, as a way to stop certain forms of radicalism and of course the result we've seen across the the Middle East as you've had a rise of uh, Islamic extremism which is you know really barbaric backward development um, for society so yeah I agree with you I think that's a a, a stupid um, divisive and tragic thing that anyone in Israel would think that uh, given any support to Hamas is going to do uh, good in the long run and that we're seeing the results of it.
0: Yeah, he might be in an awful lot of trouble when, please God, this is over soon. But when, if and when it is mm. over, and I'm not trying to trip you up. I wouldn't dare do that. Stuart Waitin is our guest. Um, and you don't have to answer this because I, I hate these interviewers. I hate them. The Piers Morgans of the world demanding that people condemn this and condemn that. So I'm not going to do that. But look, while I spoke out early on, because I have a history of criticising the Israeli government, obviously, and it's gotten me into trouble in the past. Not because I said anything that was unpalatable, but because you know, there are certain um um groups I suppose they they call themselves friends of of Israel and they don't like when people criticize Israel. But but I hate this kind of you gotta condemn this and you gotta condemn that. But mm. um what happened on the seventh was terrible. Um Netanyahu's gonna to have to answer for this because obviously by funding and, and maybe arming Hamas because he, he thought it would ultimately wreck the Palestinian cause. That's come back to bite him on the back side. But um, the response, I mean, I'm absolutely aghast, as I was back in 2014, when, you know, some some Israeli kids were killed, and that's a shocking thing. But I, 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 you could never justify what happened after that. Um, the response, how do you feel, about the response. Do you feel constrained? Do academics in this country feel constrained that, you know, they have to be kind of walking on eggshells when they give an opinion on anything? Because the response is, is barbarism, really. Yeah, see,
5: I, I don't know, because I don't know if if you take the situation where you've got an organisation that's decided it, it can come in and just slaughter 1,500 people and who proclaim that their, their war is against the Jews, and you're running that country i i don't know what response you would expect other than to say well we're going to war so i i'm not surprised i mean you know i think everybody everybody in the world would like a sort of peaceful solution for and for for this to end but you know what what do you do what 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 do you do in the situation of israel yeah, I, just accepting that it does exist as it exists at the minute what what do you do in that situation well you you know you hopefully you tell people that we're coming in you warn them that you say we you know you need to leave get out because uh, we're coming after hamas um and then they go in and come after hamas so you know i think it's horrible what's happening but you know, I, I can understand why Israel is doing what they're doing.
0: Nine thousand dead, though, and four thousand children, Stuart.
5: Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I, anything that comes out of Hamas's mouths, I'm, I'll be, I'll wait and see what is the actual situation when um international bodies actually get to see things can because- i
0: can i give you my final word yeah. on that and then you can have a sure, final sure. word on it and then we'll talk more about academia i'm just keeping an eye on the clock as well i know you're a busy man on the numbers you make a very good point um the medical authority is run by hamas how can we trust it uh fair point but um save the children um unicef and oxfam representatives have been asked this very question on the BBC, and they've all said, and I can prove this, I can prove that they said it anyway. They said that they trust it implicitly, because every time there's been an incursion in Gaza over the years, figures have come out of the Hamas-run authority, and after they've gone in, after it has stopped, the numbers have turned out to be absolutely bang on. They've been completely accurate. And that's coming from three NGOs, three charities, effectively, saying, yeah, we we can't trust these numbers. Um, They make sense to them. Look, my final word, I'll give you the final word on that then, is I'll tell you what Israel could do, in my opinion, rather than kill thousands and thousands of Palestinians in a collective punishment. They might lift the blockade. Uh, They might lift the blockade. They might stop the settlements, and what they might do then is they might invite the united nations to get involved by sending a peacekeeping force in uh to kind of make sure that the peace is kept and then they could maybe sit down and talk about a two-state solution. But lift the blockade, stop settling in the West Bank, and say, right, enough is enough. That's just my opinion. Do you want a final word on that before we have a few minutes yeah, about academia? I
5: mean, I, I mean, I'd be I'd be lying absolutely if I said I've I've got a a solution to what's what's happening in the, in that uh, area of the world. Um, I again, I, I shouldn't be this cynical, but I tend to be worried about. Western charities and institutions, because as far as I can see, every Western institution is woke and every woke institution has got this one dimensional view of Palestinians, Palestinians, good, um, uh, Israelis, bad. And, you know, it's like, it's like the way the BBC Automatically accepted Hamas, saying that the Israelis had just blown up a hospital, when in fact it, the, the 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 weapon had actually gone wrong, and it was from it was from this Hamas side. And you know, the BBC just punched that out without bothering to check, which is against any basic type of journalism. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll stay sceptical. I'll, I'll, I'd also say again, it's you know, when Hamas set up and used used hospitals as a base. And then the Israelis say, "Well, if you know, you you need to get people out of there because we know Hamas is using hospitals as a base. This is not normal. You know, you, you're not you're not fighting a battle against people who follow any basic rules of any any sort of humanity, as far as I can see. So, you know, I, I must admit, I'm uh, i despite finding it problematic, I I think Hamas are such a vile and barbaric organization, uh, I tend to sway towards being a bit more sympathetic towards Israel than I might have been
0: historically. Fair enough, and I'm not going to come back on that because I said I wouldn't. My listeners know I see it differently, um. But it's lovely to have a different perspective. You know, I've tried to. Ha- I've I've invo- I used to interview Zionists all the time. I don't say Zionist by the way, um, in a derogatory sense, or I don't say it in a in in a, in a condescending way. Uh, you know, died in the wool self-affirmed uh, Zionists. People like David Rubin would come on shows with me over the years and argue with me. They were very good interviews, not because I was doing them, but they were good, they were revealing. Mm. But these days, obviously, none of this is possible. People don't want to sit down with people they disagree with anymore, and that's pretty sad. So, no, it's nice to have a different perspective on it. Uh, Dr. Stuart Waighton, PhD, is our guest, the chair of the Scottish Union for Education. On this kind of lunacy in the in the universities, can I be devil's advocate for a minute? Is sure. Are we, as human beings, naturally prone to my great friend Jean-Anne Crowley, great actress, great writer herself, great academic. Jean-Anne used to say familiarity breeds content. I I, I don't like any of this unconscious bias talk either. But is it is, is, it, is it fair to suggest that maybe there is a little bit of bias amongst academics when they come to choose, if you're lecturing on a course on anything, and you're coming to choose the materials, doesn't it stand to reason that you might choose materials that you would have used yourself when you were at uni yourself, or that you would use materials from, I don't know, people who look and sound like you, and you might overlook materials that have been produced or written by people from other parts of the world that might be bloody valid. and that maybe academics need to keep you know a check on that from time to time is that unfair um yeah I think it is um I think
5: it's it's I think it underestimates um our historical and current capacity to read and think I mean you, you you think of all the academics through the last few hundred years And they spend a lot of time reading uh, and writing and thinking and if they came across a paper that was brilliant on any subject you know you know science uh, medicine um race theory anything at all you know what what would they just they'd see the name and it's got muhammad written on it and they'd like put it in the bin it's just it's just not believable it's just it, it makes no sense and it it it's really kind of limits the idea of kind of intelligence and thinking that i think is a genuine part of the kind of western legacy but also a legacy that has developed across the world so that no I, I just think if there's a good paper a good book a book good theory people will read it and adopt it and that person will be someone of significance um and these ideas aren't white, you know, there's no such thing as a white idea, you know, just because Plato wrote something doesn't mean it's it's white or just because Marx wrote something, it's yeah. not white, it's an idea, you know, and you've had, you know, Marx has influenced people in Africa and people in India and Kant and, you know, the scientists and, you know, the people who write about, you know, things that are, you know, neuroscience and all these things that of normal people can have a clue what they're talking about. Yeah, these these th- ideas—they don't have a color. You know, they're just ideas. Um, so no, I, th- I think the whole decolonization uh, idea is just degraded, and it's just ideology. It's not—it's not based on anything to do with, you know, it's what, why 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 don't they say. Uh, you should look at this person. You know, that's right. that's not, they never do that. You know, they never do that. They never say, what about this African writer? You know, what about this Indian writer? They never say that, right? Because, you know, if, if they were there, they'd already have been read and they'd already been incorporated. It's just ideology. Um, and it's degrading to everybody, you know, ultimately. And, uh, and it's racist for, for everybody as well, this suggestion that you've somehow got a kind of black way of thinking and a white way of thinking yeah, and and so on. It's just, it's so anti the whole idea of what a university and the academy should actually be about.
0: I remember earlier on in the programme, you obviously won't have heard it, but earlier on I was talking about newsrooms and production rooms, which I've spent most of my working life in because I've worked in TV and and radio. And um, this idea that's come around now in news that you know to give a more balanced and well-rounded picture as to what's going on geopolitically we need to have more diverse newsrooms and stuff yeah. you know as if yeah. the, as if the gathering of news would be enhanced because of a person's sexuality or because yeah. of their gender it is absolutely silly and i know i've asked you this before like you're a criminologist you've written some excellent books right i'm not kissing your arse you have done i've read them i was that guy on amazon last year that was me um so tell me this I've asked you before, will it eventually drive people like you out of academia, do you think? Or are you determined to win this battle?
5: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Well, I'll tell you what what does seem to be happening. Um, Obviously, this is quite difficult. You're starting to get alternative institutions. So, I know of at least one university in Texas where uh, an institution has been set up specifically to try and have a proper liberal education rather than one that's, as you say, obsessed with diversity or thinks that because you've got, you know, the color of your skin or uh, what's between your legs, that that's got some kind of profound meaning. It's like we've all got brains. I mean, that's what's so horrible about it. It's, it's against universalism. You know, universalism, the kind of liberal ideal is that anybody can, anyone can be great. You know, anyone can have great ideas. Doesn't matter what you are—black, white, male, female. Doesn't matter. You can be a great journalist. You can be a—you can be a great astro. You can be a great anything. Right? It's, yeah. it's based on how good you are at it. Whereas now, as you say, you get this farcical situation where you say, "Well." Oh, we should, we'll need to get a black, black lesbian in or we'll need to get a disabled <laughs> this or we'll need to get whatever. It's like, yeah. why, why do did, did these people have different types of brains? It's, it's offensive. You know, it's offensive. It's, it's, ridiculous, it's, yeah. it's, it's like a revitalization of racism and sexism, but you know, they put a tick tick in front of the, the, the woman or the black person or the lesbian or whatever, instead yeah. of a cross. As they would have historically, but it's just as reactionary and stupid do you
0: know what Stuart I do, and listen, I think we've spoken often enough now that you know I'm not a virtue signaler, not a bit of it. but look, I did grow up around a good a good number of disabled people, so I have a bit of empathy with people with disability, and I do worry about even in this day and age is that employers might look at people with disabilities and think this might be a bit hard work. And I suppose in that instance, I suppose there's nothing you can really do, really, is there? I mean, a disabled person will never know if uh, he or she didn't get a gig, whether or not the potential employer took into consideration that he or she uses sure. a wheelchair yeah. so so you know i i i do where a disabled person is concerned i definitely would would have an awful lot of sympathy there i, I know you would as well let me ask you this yeah. before we run out of time did you want to come back in on that by the way before i no well
5: i i just think there there is some truth to that but i mean and that's what i think <laughs> it's such a tragedy that i i think at, today and arguably for the last sort of. 20 years we've had a society that is very conscious of trying to give everyone an opportunity you know it's like uh, and you would hope that institutions certainly state institutions think private institutions they might be sort of worried about the bottom line more and thinking about is it going to affect our profits i think that's still problematic um but i think generally speaking we do live in a society where the vast 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 majority of people would hate themselves if they thought they hadn't employed somebody because of you know their skin color or a disability, yeah, and I just think that that's that's true as far as I can see I think that's that's the world that we live in, and um we don't need to artificially um try and horseshoe and f- push people into roles because of something to do with their gender or anything
0: else about them. Good stuff, Stuart. Final question. You're listening to Stuart Waiton, PhD, the chair of the Scottish Union for Education. You'll find Stuart and the SUE on Twitter. I will put all the links on the podcast later on. Uh, there are many reasons to be upset about going to Old Trafford these days. I live 20 minutes walk away, even with my big legs. It's 25 minutes for most people. Um, a, a Lifelong fan, Stuart. It's, a, it's abysmal at the moment. The Stadium is falling down uh the, the geordies are hammering us something which um we wouldn't expect to happen yeah but look um i mentioned to you i was at the derby on on sunday i actually enjoyed mm. watching city as, as as perverse as that sounds they were so good but uh, three mm. different messages from three different organizations Um, one was from team viewer one was from adidas and one was from manchester united itself um flashing up text messages urging us to basically dob in or to report anything we heard that we found to be offensive. Now, of course, this isn't new. I went to see England play a Friendly in Wembley when I was working on TV in London back in 2013. They played Germany. It was the first time I saw such a message. I thought, this is disgraceful. I couldn't believe it. But now it's everywhere. I know you've got something to say on this. Text this number, Stuart, if you hear something homophobic or hateful. What's happening? Yeah.
5: Well, the thing I find really, really, really irritating about this in terms of football fans is that if if you have a situation, especially the race stuff, right, that every time I watch Sky or listen to something or whatever, you, you get these kind of subliminal messages, say no to racism, say no to racism, say no to racism. It kind of sound, sounds nice, right? And it sounds nice because basically we're all against racism. You know, it's it's if you find a, a serious racist, you'd think he's an oddball nowadays, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, so you keep getting these messages. So basically, you've got to scratch the surface and say, and say what are they saying here, right? And what they're saying is... Football fans are scum, football fans are scum, football fans are scum. That's what I see every time I see it. Because why else do you need to keep flashing and shouting and shouting and shouting the same thing over and over and over again unless you think the people you're talking to are basically bigoted scumbags? And that's what I think is so horrible about it, It really is. And it's it's completely
0: untrue. (laughs) Yeah, it's gaslighting, isn't it? And I remember having a conversation... When I was at a game and I don't often get to be in the Stretford End. um, Because you know when you're a member of a club you you end up getting a ticket every week or in some different part of the stadium. Which is where I end up all over the bloody place. But um, um, I didn't clap once when they took the knee. I wouldn't boo because I, I, booing is childish a few people booed and i wasn't clapping and guy next to me says it was kind of looking at me you know and to be fair he didn't say anything so i started the conversation i said do you mind me asking you why are you clapping and he said uh, oh because they're standing up against racism and i said but what racism exactly and i got into a conversation with him and he was open-minded enough to you know eventually come to the conclusion just as you did there. And he went, yeah, you've got a point there. There isn't—I don't remember any any racism around here. And I said, exactly. I said they're—they're they're, they're almost telling—they're telling us that we need to do something about our own racism, these players. But I said, you're not racist. Mm. I'm not racist. I came here to watch a game of football. So yeah, you make mm. a brilliant point there, Stuart. Yeah. Hey, listen. Um, i, I want to, you've got something coming up, um, in November, in a week or two's time. It's an event. Um, and people can buy tickets at Eventbrite. Tell us about it, will you? Before I forget um I'll put- uh,
5: this is this is on monday actually in edinburgh um and if you if you just go on eventbrite and write it's scottish union for education it'll pop up or you can write let kids be kids basically it is an event in edinburgh Um, to try and look at why schools are sexualizing childhood through their sex education curriculum and why they're promoting transgender ideology, which they are doing uh, systematically in Scotland. And a lot of parents have got serious concerns about this. And Edinburgh is particularly interesting because in the last sort of six, eight months, there's been a number of events in Edinburgh where the kind of trans activists have basically closed down um, video showings at Edinburgh University, closed down a, um, a library meeting uh, in Portobello Library. Um, so we thought it's about time we had a meeting there to try and discuss uh, what's there. And one of the speakers is a guy called Murray Allen, who is a 17-year-old, or he was a 17-year-old schoolboy, he's now in his early 20s, who uh, was thrown out of class and then eventually thrown out of school because he insisted that there was a thing called two sexes, or two genders, he called it, male and female, and he didn't really accept that you have all this 100 genders yeah. thing. Uh, and because he stated that, he was thrown out of class and eventually thrown out of school. So he's he's one of our speakers. So that's Brilliant. on uh, Monday night, Monday coming uh, at 630 um and it's uh, i'm trying just trying to remember it's it's in a place loriston loriston place i believe it is um but anyway if you go to event brighton put it in
0: Scottish Union for education if there's anyone listening who lives around edinburgh uh you're more than welcome free speech is alive and well at the scottish union for education Stuart. i love that thanks for your time mate i know and i do mean i know that you're hammered busy with everything else obviously at the university and stuff, but um, great chat, great debate, love having you on, come back anytime. Great, cheers. Bye Stuart, bye for now. Stuart Waitin, PhD, live on Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show. I'm live in Salford, thanks again to Stuart for that. Let me read out a few comments there. Uh, from Tony. Great, balanced interview with well-made points on both sides. You both both had differing opinions and explained them clearly without the need for shouting, cutting across, etc. Fantastic stuff. Thank you, says Tony. You're very kind, Tony. Acker says, I am very interested in the speech to be given by Saeed F- Fadla, is it F- Fadala Tomorrow, which may herald the scale of the present war. You'll have to send me a link to that, Acker, please, if you don't mind. Uh, Chris says, finding the pattern in these things, like the current wokery in employment. It's like the loony left all over again. Chris Dell, Hi, Chris Dell, I don't think we've heard from you before. Nice to hear from you. Uh, she says, I hope that when Stuart lectures, he keeps these personal opinions about the Israeli-Palestine conflict for himself. Personally, I find his views very narrow-minded. But then, if you disagree with him, or anybody, you would find their views narrow-minded, Christel. I would disagree with you, as somebody who went to university twice, I would prefer, if Stuart Waiten was lecturing me, I'd prefer that he did give his opinions on the Israeli-Palestine conflict because, having interviewed him several times, and having debated him and disagreed with him on other issues, um, I would imagine he'd be very open to hearing my point of view. So I'd prefer that he did tell me how he felt about it. But thanks for your comment. Very good. Mark says, I'm so disappointed in my fellow Scott, who is on with you now, Richie. Pathetic. Mark, he's from the North East. He's not actually Scottish. But uh, thank you for your uh, comment. He is um, entitled to his opinion. Barnardo says, how can Stewart say, while in fact the hospital bombing was Hamas' fault, where does he get his facts?" That makes him a 100- 100 certain that these are representative of the truth especially as he says that he wouldn't trust the European media. Did he get it from an Israeli newspaper because they can be 100% trusted, can they to tell the truth? Uh, Thank you Bernardo. Look, I have given my perspective on the bombing. I don't necessarily believe that the bomb that fell on the Al-Ali hospital was a misfired rocket. I don't believe that necessarily. But I've said that many times on the programme. So there's no point in me jumping down Stuart's throat and interrupting him and telling him, because I've made it clear I disagree with him. We go back to Tony's point. This is how conversations should be had in the media. Long term, uh, long form conversations. That's how it should be really, you know. I made my points pretty clear. I made it clear I support the cause of the Palestinian people. I made it clear that the far right in Israel Netanyahu and his gang of thugs have, some years ago, adopted a policy of funding Hamas because they knew that by doing that, it would make it more difficult for Palestinian statehood to be realised. I made that clear in the conversation, and that what's happening is collective punishment in Gaza, in my opinion. um, Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd hope that most of our listeners are happy to hear uh, an opposing viewpoint or something they disagree with because there's no harm in it, like, you know there's absolutely no harm in hearing something from somebody who um, sees it a bit differently than we do, the time is 28 minutes past the hour, Bachman Turner overdrive then some music while I take a breather it's your Richie Allen show it's yours and I'm Richie Allen Thursday's programme Yeah, that's Bachmann-Turner Overdrive taking care of business. 27 minutes to the top of the hour. It's a Thursday show. I'm Richie Allen, back with you in a moment.
1: Winter's on its way, and so are colds, flu, and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365. Combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit nutrahealth 365com now and get winter ready.
0: Yeah, there's some pretty disturbing news speaking of Gaza, right? The United Nations is reporting that four of its schools in Gaza which were being used as shelters, have been attacked and damaged in less than 24 hours after footage showed the aftermath of two blasts at other schools. So they're saying that one was damaged at the Jabalia refugee camp, which is the largest in the Gaza Strip, killing 20 people and injuring five. Another school at Beach or Al Shati, refugee camp was also damaged with one child being killed. Uh, These locations are in the north of the Gaza Strip. So that's the United Nations there reporting this. Uh, This report came in just after 6pm this evening. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jesus. And it'll go on, I suppose. Uh, Yeah. Let's look around the news websites to see is there anything else that we might have missed in the programme today. Funnily enough, the BBC Verify. You know, we've talked a lot about this. We've, we've taken the mickey out of it. We've laughed at people like Mariana Spring. You know, the BBC has set itself up basically as the arbiter of what is true and isn't true in global news reporting. And it's kind of been successful at doing this. I mean, not with you, not with me, because we know what the BBC is. It 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 deserves the, it, this tag, British bullshit corporation. We know this, but most people don't know this. And this BBC Verify thing is caught on, where the BBC is basically marking its own homework. It's telling you, here is a news story, and we've verified it, so you can trust what we tell you because we've verified our own news story. Now, of course, it isn't just their own news; they're verifying, they're verifying other claims. They want to. They're creating this paradigm, this reality, where people will accept that if BBC Verify has verified it, we can take it to the bank. So I've got to, first of all, say this before I say this. Um, The BBC Verify team are verifying that Israel is attacking places in Gaza that Israel said would be safe spaces for Palestinians. So this is pretty significant, really if you think about it, right? So, the BBC is saying, right, the Israeli military is attacking places where it has told people you will be safe to shelter in. So, that's significant, right? At least I would have said it's significant in any case, right? Okay. That said, the BBC Verify website, which is part of the BBC News website. Lots of talk about Storm Qiron, flood warnings, uh, in the south, particularly in the south of the country uh, this is a, a storm that they they, they we we, they, we heard nothing but Storm Chiron at the beginning of the week. Now it arrived, it doesn't seem to have done an awful lot of damage, but there, it's been used, as I said it would be uh, to talk up climate change and how these storms are becoming more and more frequent which is evidence that uh, climate change is legitimate that it is happening now uh, Thanks for your comments by the way Darren says, um, "Air airline cabin crew for twelve years. Assistance passenger came on with difficulty yesterday night, badly injured leg. Speaking later, uh, he or she revealed the leg was injured from the COVID jab. The person has got a black leg from the knee down. The leg has gone black, and deeply scarred. Doctors concur the vax did it. The vaccine caused it." And they removed tons of clots. The person, the passenger, was close to death at one stage and lost his job. Amazing guy. That's Darren. Thank you, Darren. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. Anne-Marie says, Richie, I totally agree that everyone is entitled to their opinion. And Stuart is totally deserving of his. And to present it, I would simply suggest to him not to use, in fact when presenting his. As in case of the Israel-Palestine conflict, no one knows the facts. We only choose to believe what resonates true to ourselves. So he should have said, in my opinion, or I chose to believe the storyline which said the hospital bombing was a Hamas action. One thing I know for sure is that he does not have the facts to support that opinion. Nobody has. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I agree. And my interview with Kevin Barrett was a little bit heated. No big deal, I've known Kevin for years, because I pointed out to Kevin several times that he did not know for a fact that the Israelis bombed that hospital. He had reason to believe that and he stated his case pretty clearly, but I pointed out that he could not state it unequivocally. And I also pointed out that if the Israelis can, you know, hurt Israeli citizens, or allow them to be hurt, I'm not saying I agree with this either. I'm very open-minded about this stuff. You know, false flag stuff, false flag series. We talk about it a lot on the show. But I said to Kevin Barrett, why are you so quick to dismiss or denounce even the notion that Hamas, who are staffed... Hamas is, you know... And again, I've spoken about the history of this too many times on the programme, about how Wahhabists are funded by Western intelligence agencies in order to undermine the cause of the people they are supposed to represent we talked about it earlier on with Netanyahu, funding Hamas to demean the Palestinian cause to undermine it I should say so yeah so you you know you fund headchoppers and people with very extreme views because it suits you and then others and you make this claim like Kevin would agree with this But then you say, oh no, Hamas wouldn't be capable of a false flag. That is bollocks. I mean, that is utter bollocks, in my opinion. And I made that clear to Kevin. And I do say, in my opinion, because I'm not saying it's a fact, because I don't know. But I think it's preposterous to imagine that Hamas wouldn't, you know, um, even accidentally um, strike an area where Palestinians are hiding and then immediately blame it on Israel. I'm not saying that's what happened at all, by the way. I think when you look at all the evidence that is available, it looks to me like the Israelis bombed the hospital. That's what it looks to me like. But I can't be sure of that. I've also got to be honest and say, and I will not say it again, because repetition is boring, but it is just ludicrous, silly, it's close minded And yeah, it's without any foundation to say, well, Hamas would never do anything like that. That's... That's bullshit. Come on, people, you know. We're better than that, you know. There are no good guys, really, when it comes to to war, you know. The good guys are the people of Gaza. And the good guys are the Israeli men, women and children. They're also occupied. They're not occupied in the same way as the Palestinians, of course not. But they're occupied of the mind. Their minds are occupied. From the earliest, um, from from the time they, they can walk, they are poisoned and they are programmed against the people in gaza and against everybody else really as far as i can tell but even still it doesn't work on every israeli there are many many israelis working in the west bank working for the palestinian cause this is true every now and then this is going back several years of course before the COVID thing i would interview israelis who were working to better the situation for the palestinian people but the western media prefers to disappear these people, and I mean metaphorically disappear them, not physically, pretend they don't exist, just like we see Jewish men and women in this country coming out in great numbers to say not in our name, but the BBC won't talk about them, ITN won't talk about them, Sky News won't talk about them. You know? Nothing is black and white. If we've learned anything, we've learned that. Haven't we? Nothing is black and white. Jenny says in 1948, even both sides were allocated a certain amount of land. But the Israeli government has taken more and more and more land from Palestine over the years. Yes, it does. Yes, it has, Jenny. And also from Syria. Yes, it has. And put settlements there. Exactly. So the Palestinians have been crowded into a smaller and smaller space. The US has supported it, the theft of this land. Israel's land grab is, I think the root of the problem, indeed it is and this is what Antonio Guterres said, the UN Secretary General and he was right, he said Hamas, as bad as Hamas might be, right it's got some headchoppers in there Stuart Wayton is right about one thing some of the videos that were put out by the militants and they were put out by the militants right, they showed unspeakable things the desecration of um, the, the bodies of Israelis, you know this riding around in jeeps with, with the bodies of people on on the roof and, and on the bonnet. This is disgusting shit, really. You can't stand over that and say it's okay because of what happened over 75 years. You can't. And you shouldn't. But you can't say nothing happens in isolation. And Gutierrez is right. Look, I've said it a thousand times. I believe Zionism to be demonic. The Palestinian cause is a righteous one. The Palestinians are right. It is their land. And that's all I can say about that, really. Baird says, I'm no fan of the IDF, and I don't believe what any of them say about this war. But there are a lot of accounts from all over time of how Hamas used Arab women and children as bait to be shot by the IDF. I don't think they care about the lives of Palestinians. So if there is hospitals or schools in Gaza bombed, I don't have a problem believing that Hamas would do a false flag, says Baird. Thank you, Baird. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily believe that was the case in terms of the hospital, Um, personally, but I can believe that Hamas would sacrifice Palestinian people in order to further their objectives. Just as we saw on September the 11th, just as we saw on the 7th of July, where it is allowed happen, or it is a planned false flag, where people are blown to pieces. Where the intelligence agencies of the United States, and of the UK in my opinion, allow or participate in the murder of American and British citizens in order to convince the public to support a particular agenda. So if you're prepared to believe that about your own government and the government of the United States again for the last time and I swear it's the last time it is it is intellectually intellectually redundant to say that um, there's no way uh, that Hamas would do it. Come on, you know. So there you are now. The Richie Allen Show for Thursday. Gordon's been on, who says, did you see the logo at Old Trafford last night, the WEF one? I saw a picture on Twitter. I didn't, Gordon. Now, I am aware that there's some talk on Twitter that a WEF, the World Economic Forum, logo appeared in the middle of the pitch at Old Trafford. Well, I didn't see it, um, so I can't comment on that. But why would they do that, do you think? A bit of subliminal programming, maybe? I don't know. Um, i'll check I'll check into it if I can. Hi to Karen who says Richie, I think Israel is taunting Hamas with all of these bombings in the hope that Hamas reacts violently in response, so Israel can then appear to be the victim. Thank you, Karen. It's an interesting perspective. Alexandra is looking forward to Sunday morning melodies. Good morning, Alexandra. We love Sunday morning melodies. Thanks for your comment. Sunday mornings ten o'clock u k time. It'll be good fun this coming Sunday. And Davey says, It worries me, Richie. He says, if I can bring the comment back up again. It worries me so much, Richie. The fact how the people in control do not value life at all. It will come to us as they only care for themselves, money and power. Thank you. Rob says, Richie, how do we even know anything is a fact? Even if every MSM network reported a story as fact, how do we know they're not just pushing the narrative the globalists have decided is the truth. It's hard to trust anything coming from the telly and the radio these days, says Rob. You're right, Rob. I've asked you, not you particularly, Rob, but you, dear listener, you, that's you, Rob, I've asked you to consider this many times over the years. Why is it, do you think, that the 24-hour news channels cover the same news stories and, more often than not, cover them in the exact same um, order. Cover the exact same stories and do them in the exact same order. And if you listen very carefully, they often use what seem to be the same script. And I've told you why. News gathering used to be the preserve of the station, of the station news team. The news team had to go out and get news. Not anymore. Not for a couple of decades. Now, news organisations like the BBC, like LBC, like Talk TV, like GB News, the news comes to them from bureaus. It's basically rip and read. It isn't fax machines anymore. These stories are emailed in from news-gathering services. Even the news was colonised by the same people who... Hoover up everything, you know. You've got chain restaurants now. You don't have too many family restaurants. You've got supermarkets. You don't have too many family butchers. They did the same to the news. Right? Corporations took over the news. News organisations, like, I've given you the names of them, they no longer source source sources the word their own news. They get it from bureaus. And then they rip and read, they take it off the email, they will sometimes change one or two words around to make it suitable for reading it out on air, right, writing for radio, writing for TV, and then they will present that to their viewers and to their listeners as it is a fact. But the news organisation presenting it doesn't know that it's a fact because it hasn't checked it. And I'm talking about writers. I'm talking about the, Associ- the, the AFP. I'm talking about AFP and Associated Press. Here's your news. And this is why, when you switch between BBC, News 24, and Sky News, and GB News, and Talk TV, they are covering exactly the same stories in exactly the same order. Most of the time, in the same order. And does it occur to people, do you think, in the UK and in Ireland? Why are they doing exactly the same stories? I thought these organisations were competing for viewers and listeners. Well, they are and they're not, is the short answer to that. They are and they're not, you know? What are we now, time-wise? I'm rambling a bit here, filling in time. I was leaving a bit of room open, by the way, at the end of the programme for a potential interviewee. I'll say no more about it, other than Mark Bayerski as being a big help uh with this one. Um where we've reached out or Mark has reached out uh to a lady <coughs> to invite her to come on the program. And um I left a bit of room on the off chance he might be able to get her on uh tonight but um, it hasn't happened yet. Uh He's gotten me an email address. Mark is brilliant. He's gotten me an email an email address. Uh, thank you, Mark Pyersky, for this, for doing that, by the way. Do check out com, Dear listener, if you wouldn't mind. I know you do anyway. Yeah, so we have the Sunday morning melodies this coming Sunday at ten o'clock UK time. Hang on. I'm a bit worried about my my ceramic bridge, my three unit bridge. I'm a bit worried about it. You know, I had a bit of orthodontistry. I had a bit of dentistry done, performed on me recently. And I'm not at all uh, convinced of the solidity or the durability of the bridge. I'm not happy about it. We'll have to wait and see um, how it goes. Carl says, Carl is in Leicester. Over two weeks ago, Israel claimed to have dropped about 6,000 bombs on Gaza. I leave the death estimates up to Stuart, says Carl. Love the show. Thank you, Carl. Again, when Stewart said he wouldn't take Hamas's word for it, what did I do? I said that I had heard on the BBC, which I did hear, NGOs and charities saying that traditionally, the Hamas-run Health Authority have very accurate death numbers. I thought it was a brilliant comment. Well, horribly disgusting and horribly depressing. But when Rachel Burden from the BBC jumped in and said to an Oxfam lady and a UNICEF lady, whoa, um, do we have to take the figures from Hamas with a pinch of salt? The two ladies said, hang on a second. Hang on. Yes, you can believe their figures because historically they are accurate. So there you go, okay? So I did make that point to Stuart. That's how it should be. These back and forths, back and forths, have... Say, say your piece, shut up and listen. Say your piece, shut up and listen. Chris says, Read BBC Verify. It reminds me of a detail from David Simon's Generation Kill. How the Marines in-country should only tune in to the BBC World Service for its war news. Good point, Chris. That's exactly what the uh, BBC uh, wants to create. To create this idea that the only trustworthy source for reliable information, for facts and figures you can trust, is BBC, and hence this new BBC Verify initiative. It's scandalous, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But but it's completely and utterly unsurprising. We are fast approaching, dear listener, uh, six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Okay. Yeah, not too, not too confident with the dentistry I had done. It's not because I don't have any confidence in the dentists they're very good people and they're very thorough and I got great care but um, I, I got a real fright there a few months ago when it all broke my, my previous bridge which I'd had for like 7 years seven and a half years, I was in the Lake District with uh, the missus and the dogs and I bit into a crisp or something and the whole thing collapsed and I, I went around looking like Shane gown for a couple of weeks we can't have that and I'm, I'm reticent to have a little partial denture why are you reticent Richie are you vain, no I'm not but it definitely impacts on your ability to speak and I'm worried about that so anyway, I'm worried about a lot of things dear listener these days join me for Sunday Morning Melodies this coming Sunday at 10 o'clock UK time, I'm really looking forward to it and can I do again, I did it yesterday but I'll do it today and then I won't do it for a long time can I ask you, if you haven't supported the program previously, to please consider supporting it. Okay. Um, it's five live radio shows a week, properly produced. You know it's good, right? This isn't me now boasting or anything like that. Um, so please support it. Because it's it needs support. And uh, it's. Um, I think it's an important initiative. We started it together back in 2014. And it's uh, done a lot of decent stuff, I think, over the years. We've We've given advice to a lot of people, as well as having a lot of laughs along the way. So please do support it. Go to richieallen.co.uk. There is a tag on the website says support your show. You can support it several ways, including snail mail. There is a P.O. box, there's a bank account, and there is a Patreon. So please support it. If you like it, support it. If you don't like it, feck off. That's how it's going to be. Fantastic weekend. Have a terrific weekend, you. Look after yourselves and one another. Thanks again to Stuart Waiten from the Scottish Union for Education. I will put links to the Substack on there and also to the event Bright, where they've got a, a an event this coming Monday in Edinburgh. So you can go to that if you happen to be in Edinburgh. All of the details will be on the podcast notes. I've been Richie Allen. You've been you. Speak on Sunday. The Richie Allen Show returns on Monday at uh, five o'clock. Oh, by the way. Um I'm not done this week. There will be a Papers podcast tomorrow morning Friday around about um around about 9:30 that will drop. That that's what the kids say. It'll drop tomorrow around about 9:30. Bye now.